high-tech skincare just became affordable with Optimum. With a range of creams, serums, and masks, Optimum delivers high-performance skincare with ingredients sourced from nature. And the whole range is cruelty-free and comes with Superdrug's 100% happiness guarantee. Optimum, high-tech and high-performance without the high price. Browse the full range now at superdrug.com. Welcome to the beauty of it all. Think of us as the beauty obsessed big sister that you've always wanted. Hosted by me, Vic Hope, with Superdrug. The beauty of it all takes a backstage look at the beauty industry, the issues facing it, and all the new news that you've been craving. Now, today we are talking about the big beauty quake right now, the rise of skincare, and what a quake it is indeed. I've got some stats and facts here. So the sale of a prestige skincare in the UK has reported an increase of 6%, while makeup sales have declined by 2% around this time last year. That's according to the NPD group, and this trend is continued throughout 2018. Skincare is forecast to be the fastest growing sector in the UK health and beauty market, and British women are spending more than ever on skincare. By 2023, it's expected that the skincare industry will have increased by 15% to reach a value of £1.36 billion. So to talk all things skincare with me today, I'm joined by Ruth Crilly, also known online as a model recommends. Uh, Ruth is a former model. She began modeling in 2001 and is now a respected beauty blogger, vlogger and influencer. She posts beauty, style and lifestyle videos and is a mother of two. Uh, She now has over 174,000 Instagram followers and you regularly discuss and review skincare. That's right. That's all, having me. all that stuff. Thanks for coming. Uh, and also joining us is Dr. Sam Bunting. Now, Dr. Sam is a London-based cosmetic dermatologist specialising in great skin, widely considered to be a beauty insider's best-kept secret. I like that. <laughs> uh, passionate about making a dermatologist's advice much more accessible and helping women understand that a visit to her office is not just for serious skin conditions. Uh, now, through your media and TV work, you're a presenter on TLC's Extreme Beauty Disaster. And Dr. Sam, you help bridge the gap between traditional dermatology and beauty publications. So welcome. Thank you. Delighted thanks, to be here. Thanks for coming on. Um, I'm going to come to you first and ask, how did you get into skincare specifically? What is your background, medically speaking? So I'm a doctor and dermatology is generally in the UK considered quite a medical business. So mm-hmm. you go there if you have eczema or psoriasis or a, a funny looking mole. But I was seeing a trend that women predominantly, who come to see me in my practice, um, not only wanted to fix their problems, but wanted to go further. And given that we now have all sorts of clever tools in the medical space to make people look better, many of them are in their own right solutions to problems like pigmentation, acne and rosacea. But when you know, you uh, channel them correctly and with great skincare products, you can actually produce results that exceed anyone's expectation when they come to see the doctor. So it's using that knowledge to drive what I call common sense skincare behaviour, which is something that can be missing. Um, I think with the level of saturation, with a plethora of products on the market and, you know, almost too much choice can sometimes be a bad thing. So I set out to sort of bring a, a touch of common sense 
sense and logic to yeah. that situation. It feels like a minefield. Seriously, you walk into any shop, including Superdrug, I feel like there's so many options and I care so deeply about my skin being good, but it does feel like quite overwhelming to take in. Yeah, I hear that every single day. So I set about with my clinic, you know, taking the guesswork away. So it's not just about here's your prescription. It's here's a complete plan. Here's how you should cleanse, moisturize, sun protect. And even here are the makeup brands I recommend that will work well with your particular concerns or your skin type. We give lifestyle advice. You know, we we try to make it as holistic as as possible because I think that's what women want. They don't necessarily want more choice. They want an educated edit. So it's more than just products. I think it's the whole thing, right? I mean, particularly acne, which is, you know, a huge issue um, in my practice. Maybe 80% of those who come to see me come with some degree of blemish-prone skin. They may have other things going on as well or be anti-aging concerned, but it's so common. It's a thing that really does get under the skin, literally and psychologically of grown-up women. Um, And you're still in your 40s and worrying about wrinkles, but you're still getting spots. So when you approach that and you sort that out for someone um, and then you take them further and actually start to really work on skin health and beauty it's a great thing to see we'll talk a little bit more about acne specifically in a bit but Ruth how did you come to know so much about skincare was it through going to someone like Dr Sam or was it through educating yourself through uh, I don't know magazines through just googling how did this become a subject that you wanted to know more about and then transmit that knowledge well actually it started off when I was modelling, and I used to go to Paris a lot, and they were really into, you know, the skincare that we couldn't get here. And so I was quite interested in that. But actually, when I started my blog, um, I just felt a massive responsibility that if I was going to be writing about a subject, I needed to do my research around it. So, I mean, I've just absorbed information from various mm-hmm. places. And of course, I watch other people, you know, you could read Dr. Sam and... There are expert sources that I that I look at first and foremost, but then I will also go away and do my own reading and make sure I understand the ingredients. And I mean, it's huge. I'm not professing to um, to be sort of an expert voice on it, but I feel like if I'm going to be reviewing skincare products, that I should have a solid knowledge of what I'm talking about. So I'm always learning, yeah. and it's. I mean, I, I did my degrees in. English so (laughs) it's like as far away from that as you can possibly get I did A-level chemistry but I can't remember any of it so I'm just (laughs) constantly every time something new comes to the market something gets sent to me something that I try I just try and read around the subject as much as I can and how did you make that transition from being a model to being an influencer was it quite natural yeah, well, the thing is, it was just really good timing because I had done really well modelling. I'd been all around the world, but I was almost saturated in the UK market. And so I really needed to go and start fresh somewhere else, maybe Paris or Milan. And I just got married and I really didn't want to. And I'm, I'm a real home bird. Um, and so that started to wind down at the same time that my writing, and I was starting an MA in um, English and creative writing, that was picking up. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, blogging hadn't really kicked off in a massive way then, um, but somebody that I knew had done one and I thought, this is amazing, I can practice my writing online. And I had this unique perspective as a model, because I was still working, um, that just lent me this unique viewpoint that nobody else was doing. And the two worlds just collided. So in a way, yeah, it was a completely natural 
step and I was using my anecdotal material from modelling to write. So it was just a really nice way of everything pulling together, I suppose. I feel like the world of skincare has stepped it up Mm -hmm. a notch recently, especially in the last year we heard those stats there. Why do you think that is? I mean, you say, Dr. Sam, that you've noticed so many more people coming through your doors and they want to know more about the holistic process of getting better skin. Why? Why now? I mean, there's no doubt that being on Instagram and taking selfies and all that sort of stuff means that we're all subject to a lot more self-scrutiny than ever before. And I think that you know, standards have increased accordingly as well. And whether, you know, what what your opinion of that is, is, you know, can be positive or negative. But I think, I think historically in the UK, I would say, and I hope this doesn't offend anyone, I think people have accepted a lower standard of skin than, than they should. I mean, I think people tolerate bad skin. They put makeup on it without really solving problems that I feel that with good ingredients and well-constructed skincare routines are immensely solvable and can make such an incredible difference to quality of life because bad skin percolates into everything from the minute you wake up and you check your jawline for what new might have popped up to a job interview to how you feel about how your partner looks at you in the morning. It just gets in the way of everything. And when you sort that out, my God, you've got energy to do lots of things you never knew you could do. So I, I really did personally take to social media as part of a quest to make women be more demanding of their skin and to invest wisely in the things that would really help them stand the test of time when it came to looking after their skin because you know what makeup looks so much better when they've got a great canvas underneath it yeah although the sales of makeup are going down in comparison to the sale of skincare so is it that maybe we're looking to find confidence in the face that we already have rather than masking it i'd like to think that Mm, i think so i think that um there are a lot of women who want some kind of antidote to the Instagram makeup look, which is, you know, a lot of makeup. And personally, I don't like to wear too much makeup, which is why I've always been interested in... My, I mean, obviously, it started with being a model and, you yeah. you know, you need good skin, as you say, Dr. Sam, to, you know, make the makeup look good. Um, but I feel like a lot of women, especially 30s upwards, you know, they need that gorgeous canvas to work on they don't want to wear quite so much makeup perhaps and so it's important for them and also I do have this strong feeling that the more knowledge you have access to the more you want and so when I think about my mum for example when I was a teenager there was very little out there in the way of skincare information and so you just sort of accepted what was on the shelves And it was like, well, are you greasy or are you dry skinned? And do you want to fight wrinkles or, I don't know. I mean, there wasn't really anything for acne. I think we're only five years away from when people were still dotting toothpaste on their faces, to be honest. <laughs> I'm true. just going to put you know, out there, I do still do that. I do in an emergency. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. It's terrible. But you're so right. I remember when I was growing up and it, it all comes down to confidence and how much my acne really, really underpinned who I was it was like a part of my identity and my mum saying that's just you love that's just what you look like that's what you've got to do as a 13 14 15 year old is have that but that's not the case I mean there's on the one hand there's self-acceptance with all you know mm-hmm. and accepting your flaws as, as just part of you and your uniqueness but I think where problems are solvable and I suppose coming from a medical perspective I think there are very few people with acne-prone skin that I can't help. I'm not saying 
to, I can turn them into, you know, 100% clear skin necessarily, but I can make them feel better than their, their starting point. So I, I feel strongly about taking some action. Yeah. I, I'm all for self-acceptance, of course. And I think that what's interesting actually is with acne sufferers, it takes an awful lot longer for them to believe in their mind that they're better sometimes than the objective findings. You're, years down the line, they still feel like they suffer from acne because that's the kind of mental scars it leaves behind. So I'm all for taking action as early as possible. Why acquire that mindset of the acne sufferer if it can be prevented in the first place? And I see that... You know, with adolescents coming in, it's like, thank goodness, I really, you know, it's amazing to take action with young people so they just don't have to endure it. Yeah. Hormones are bad enough in puberty. <laughs> Tell me about it. I swear I still have teenage hormones. <laughs> but, uh, it's interesting that you say problem skin. So what constitutes problem skin as opposed to other skincare products or techniques that we might be talking about that are going to improve our skin, but our skin was not problematic beforehand? So... I suppose it's, I mean, I think there's a spectrum. So I think there are super common things and I think, and sometimes people have more than one of those common things that can be concerns. And I like to think of it that way because that helps me choose the right active ingredients. I think almost everybody benefits from a simple paired back, what I call non-comedogenic or non-clogging skincare routine because those are just good fundamentals for great skin, whatever your perspective. So that means just a good cleanser, an effective moisturizer and proper sunscreen because literally that should be your first anti-aging product. And none of us want to prematurely age. No. You know, so, um, and then I believe that's, that's the structure of any routine that I suggest for someone, even if someone comes in with normal skin to me, that's how I start. And then I work out what, what our goals are. If it's just to look a bit more glowy, I'll choose an active that does that. If it's to solve a problem that's got a name, like melasma with pigmentation in pregnancy or acne or rosacea, then we cherry pick the right active ingredients for that. So it's all very logical and it, in it, it's a process. So we evolve things, you know, in, from one, you know, into improving a problem, then into just enhancing the skin. And I see that as a spectrum for everyone. What sort of age are, are people coming to you, Dr. Sam, saying, I, I, I just want better skin, I just want to glow, as opposed to coming with, say, acne or, or I don't know, wrinkles? I mean, I mean, we you know literally have someone in every decade who represents all ages, and I'm I'm a firm believer in the premise, not really of distorting or changing your features, but making the most of what you've got. And I I really do believe that we are biologically, you know, driven to be attracted to bright, glowy, healthy skin because it's such a strong indicator that actually things are going on quite well inside too. Yeah, you know, it's, it's like true. a billboard that says, "Hey, I'm happy. I'm fine. I'm attractive." <laughs> you know. Um, for me, it's about the way the light interacts with your skin. It's how it reflects off of your skin. So the qualities that deliver that are a smooth epidermis. That's where exfoliation um, is, is a brilliant, you know, quite quick fix typically. But it's about the properties of the deeper layer of the dermis, which is kind of where all the trouble happens when we start to get premature lines and wrinkles. But if it's healthy, the light pops off of it like a mirror. And that's that's when you get a lovely even-toned complexion. There's no brown or red in there to, to, to sort of, you know, I don't know, draw the eye somehow. We all know it when we see it. Yeah. Um, and I think that we have a lot of great actives now that really help get that grown-up glow at any age. And you can, I mean, you literally can see that. I believe in great skin, great brows and lashes and amazing hair. Those three tenets of beauty to me can mean that anybody can look good at any decade. Yeah, I like that. And it also means you don't have to get up too early in the morning and put a face on, 100%. which I can't 
can't be bothered to do, to be honest. No, and the, the brows and lashes thing is very important as you age because we lose density and we and we lose pigment, so that fades a bit. And you put that into a face that really feminizes someone. And great glowy skin that doesn't need a huge amount of makeup, it's just efficient, right? You want to yes. get out to the school run. Yeah. You're not spending 20 minutes doing concealer. So... I, you know, it saves time. It makes you feel better. It's easy. What's not to like? Can I just put my hand up and, and uh, point out how inadequate my hair looks compared <laughs> no. to you? <laughs> no. I literally said that and I just shrank into my chair. I've got my hair in a top knot because it's hot. But your skin is plump and glowy. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. And I've got my brows. lashes and my brows you on. You know, tick, tick, two tick. out of three, I'm fine. You're, you're better than fine. You're great. <laughs> Let's talk ingredients. So if we are penetrating that lower dermis uh, and we're trying to get that plump glowy look what ingredients are we looking for in the products that we're using i mean at the moment the buzzword is retinol Retinol. everyone's gone crazy for retinol i have to say though i've been testing various things since the middle of last year and i've never had results that are so visibly apparent as with retinol i mean it's amazing. 100%. Um, we've literally just started a YouTube series called The Retinoid Revelations. Um, because I think that on the one hand, whilst they deliver so much, there are a lot of, the sort of fear, retinoid struggle, I call it, um, around, around the category. And starting one can be quite an intimidating thing. If you go online and you're a bit nervous, you can find bad stuff out, right? You can, you can really start to worry yourself. So I think it's all about because I really do think this is where most people should start if they've got basically decent skin. They just want to up the ante with a bit of glow, assuming they've got their sunscreen happening yeah. every day because yes. that's a given, that's right? Fair. We all agree on that yes. one. Um, and then you do your retinoid at night and it literally is like the easiest routine in the world. What is retinol? So retinol... Retinoid is the category. Retinol is the most well-known member of the family because it's available over the counter and it's in lots of products. But the retinoid category is a family of molecules related to vitamin A and retinol is pure vitamin A. But it goes into the skin and it gets converted by enzymes into an active ingredient called retinoic acid, which we can get on prescription. Mm-hmm. And that binds to nuclear receptors and turns on genes and basically switches on the synthesis of big proteins like collagen. So it really can make skin behave like it used to maybe five, ten years ago. That's how profound an impact it can have. But anything that makes a big change, generally speaking, has the potential to cause problems in the first instance. It's why it's a medication when it's in its stronger form. But those can be worked around. There are ways to manage that. So um, it, it's it's a great ingredient. You have to get through the first six weeks. It's tough love. Why? What happens in the first six weeks? It's the adjustment pa- period. So that's when things like dryness and redness and irritability, okay. sun sensitivity in summer, these are the kind of common concerns that people worry about. Sometimes if you've got acne, it can make you purge a little bit. So in a way, if you know all those things and you start slow, you start with a lower intensity treatment and you build up gradually, it's generally manageable. And by the time you get to three months in, you're so glad you did. Okay. What products can we be looking at that will include this ingredient? Um, I mean, retinol is the key ingredient over the counter. Retinaldehyde's another one. Have you come across retinaldehyde, Ruth? Yeah, and retinoate. Um... Yeah, the rest. Yeah, I know the one you mean. It's yeah. quite new, isn't it? Um, yeah. So there's a whole family of them, and they, you know, they differ in their strength and and how potentially irritable they are and how stable they are. They're always used at night, typically. Do you think people are looking more at the ingredients in their skincare 
than they used to, rather than saying being taken in by really glossy ad campaigns or, or knowing, you know, buzzwords and hearing about products as a product as opposed to the the sort of composite of its parts. I think the people that are, are actively engaged on social media, a glossy ad now is absolutely on the bottom of the list of things that they want. And they are clued up about ingredients. They're happy to almost go one-on-one combat with people talking about ingredients. <laughs> Battlefield out there. Yeah, I mean... It is, isn't it, though? I mean... I, I think it's opinions. great. A lot people of strong have got strong But I think it's great that the general level of understanding and interest in skincare ingredients is there because I feel that even your sort of entry-level brands have upped their game to the point where they're really taking on high-tech brands. You know, people can spend very little money and get a product that is effective, that's not just, you know, whereas it used to be you just have a selection of creams and they're all different colours and slightly different scents. You now have high-performing, affordable products. And I think that's partly because the consumer has demanded these products because they know what they're talking about. Can you tell me about the INCI list that I understand a lot of people are making their choices about ingredients from? Mm. I mean, I think there's a lot of... Certainly certain brands have been using the absence of this ingredient or that ingredient as almost like a a marketing tool now because consumers have started to understand that certain ingredients like certain forms of alcohol in the skin, for instance, or fragrance is just you know, potentially irritant or, or may not even serve any purpose. So why is it in there? Um, so I think it's just it's just basically the list of ingredients. And there's even websites now where you can feed the inky list of a product into this website. And it was designed actually for formulators to work out, you know, which ingredients they, sh- they should be using. But, um, but actually pe- people are using it to sort of red flag ingredients. No one's expecting consumers to have a full understanding yeah. of all the chemistry, but they can then go and look it up. And then there are websites like Paula's Choice where they can go and actually look at critiques of ingredients. So there's so much information out there. Um, do you think sometimes it's counterproductive though? Yeah. <laughs> do you think sometimes it's going to be like a, double-edged a, a misunderstanding? It's almost like using Dr. Google. Yeah. You know when you've got an it's ailment so true. and you look up the symptoms? Yeah. Because unless you've got the training to understand what you're reading, you can misinterpret. And I think some people do misinterpret and people listen to them. In which case, you've got a sort of cascade of misinformation. misinformation. I think nothing doesn't happen any more than often than the sunscreens as well, right? People get real bees in their bonnet mm-hmm. about certain ingredients. And, I mean, a formula is that. It's a, it's, it's, it's a sum of its parts. It's a bit like how you can use, you know, an egg and milk to make scrambled eggs or a souffle, right? It's, right. There, there is an art form and then there's a science and it's a marriage of both. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, the pendulum has swung that way having been that way and it will settle somewhere in the middle somewhere sometime soon I think yeah it's a really good point when there's so much information out there it it, it is decipherable in a way that might be wrong right and there is this rise of the skin intellectual or the the skin influencer out there so these people who who I'm sure so many do know so much about skin but maybe there will be like misrepresentation of information um is that a worry because some of these ingredients are potent you know it sounds like retinol is a potent ingredient I mean you have to find the right person I guess to inform some of your decisions I think I think you know a bit like with anything in beauty right you find someone who's on your wavelength and and speaks your language if you're going to kind of follow someone just sort of speaking about social media and and how, how you acquire knowledge and how you go about constructing a routine it's not 
it's not straightforward for people doing this for themselves. Um, because, you know, you're taking advice from friends, from uh, other individuals who may or may not share your same skin type and you're applying it to yourself, which is what women have always done with skincare. Yeah. But there is a definite problem if your mate's got, you know, thick, oily skin that can take anything and you've got rosacea and thin, delicate skin prone to a bit of eczema and you start using the same active ingredients that they do because they're getting great results. So... I'm a big believer in knowing thyself, knowing where you're starting from. Like, do you have thin, dry, sensitive, reactive skin? If so, proceed with caution. Do one active ingredient at a time. You know, do your research and source ones that are designed for that situation. So you might not start with retinol in that situation. You might start with niacinamide, which is a barrier-boosting active that's a lot easier to tolerate. So... There's no substitute for learning about yourself and your skin. And I think the key things, I think, when it comes to putting together the foundations is not to deplete your skin before you start. So don't over-scrub. Don't, you know, use aggressive toners. Uh, These sorts of practices, which means that you're already starting, like, from below zero, and then you're putting in things that are active and potentially irritant, as most of these ingredients are. So good foundations are key to kicking off an active skincare routine. How do you know if you've overdone it? And what can you do? That's my main worry, and sometimes I see people and I think, ah, step back, you step back your skin little, off. Because, because it's so available. And, and, some and more of the, must be more, Some right? of these exfoliant um, liquids, you know, they're saying, you can use this twice a day, and I'm just dying inside because I'm thinking your poor skin. You know, really, like you said at the start, a good cleanser that's not stripping your skin, not compromising the barrier, and then moisturising, just keeping it on an even keel. But you've got people that are exfoliating once, twice a day. They're using retinol every single night. You know, you have to educate people about starting slow, about managing expectations. Results do not happen next week. They happen in six weeks, 12 weeks, mm-hmm. you know. And podcasts about skincare. 100%. Oh, of course. <laughs> I was getting to that. <laughs> okay, we're going to take a little break, but stay right there, because on the other side, we're going to be talking about skincare routine trends. Try Superdrug's award-winning B Skincare range. B Skincare caters for all skin types with simple-to-understand daily regimes and the latest must-have products all at fantastic value for money. So whether you're looking for targeted skincare solutions or simply wanting a cruelty-free, vegan-friendly range of products to add into your routine, B Skincare has something for you. Discover the full range online now at superdrug.com and for all the latest news, releases and offers, follow B skincare online and be by superdrug for all the latest okay it is the part of the podcast that we like to call spill the beauty where i just want to get to know you both a little bit better so ruth i'm going to come to you first first thing that comes to your head first question ultimate beauty icon oh at the moment i think it would be margot robbie she looks great. She looks amazing, doesn't she? You know what it is, though? It's confidence. She mm-hmm. owns it. It's not like she wear all this makeup and clothes and stuff, but it, they don't own her. She owns it. And, and I feel like she's as comfortable with nothing, yeah. I was going to say nothing on, that <laughs> she probably and is. no makeup as, <laughs> as being doled up. She's just, com- I mean, why wouldn't you be comfortable in yourself? I know. Yeah. All right. Uh, number one piece of beauty advice you've ever been given. Oh, I mean, it's, it's possibly quite a boring one, but stop smoking. I used yeah. to be quite a 
quite an enthusiastic smoker, actually. <laughs> Just imagine <laughs> you, like, laughing hysterically <laughs> while smoking. Yeah. Um, yeah, it goes without saying, doesn't it? Definitely. Uh, and number three, your biggest beauty fail. Do you know what? It wasn't actually my fault. I went on a modelling right. job. <laughs> I went on a modelling job and the makeup artist insisted on bleaching my eyebrows off because that was a thing for a while. Yeah, it's really fashionable for Oh, it. it's just so awful. So I looked like an android. And then I had to go back to the airport. I was in Germany. And she dyed them back in. But now what I know is that if people were dyeing them back in, you would put Vaseline around, you'd shape them. She just put it on all over when she swiped this stuff off, I had the biggest... It dyed all the hairs for about half an inch either side oh, on my head. So you have massive... I was like Wolverine. <laughs> and I had to go through the airport. I mean, it was like... I think I had to change planes as well. It was like an internal flight. Then I had to fly to Heathrow. Then I had to get on the Heathrow Express. Then I had to get a cab. So all the veritable <laughs> transport options I did with it, Wolverine I did eyebrows. Trains and automobiles. Yeah. yeah. I love it. Oh, it's a look though, isn't it? It was... I think I have pictures? a photo somewhere that might do. Yeah. I'll dig it out and I'll send it to you privately. Right. Well, now I know. Vaseline on the eyebrows if I'm ever going to dye them. Okay, I would like to build a beauty with you now. Uh, okay. So, number one. Uh, Desert Island beauty product. Well, it has to be sunscreen. It's so boring and so predictable. But, I mean, how else am I going to stave off the wrinkles and the brown spots? And also, you're on a desert island. I'm on a desert island, <laughs> you know. So, yeah. What is the biggest <laughs> beauty myth that you've ever heard? And there's a few of them out there. Um, I think the idea that you need to change up your skincare all the time and that skin gets used to product. Like people say about, you know, washing their hair. They think it's the same for skincare. And I simply don't think it's true that the right stuff your skin stays responsive to and... You know, it's, it's the antithesis of this idea of beauty hopping and changing it up and switching it up on this business. Yeah. I just don't, I, I don't, you don't believe in that at all. To it. Not if it's the right stuff in the first place. And what is your guilty pleasure <laughs> Instagram account to follow? <laughs> I don't know, maybe Ruth's cat. Thanks. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Ruth, your cat's got an Instagram. Uh, Mr. Bear. Dexter and the Bear. Yeah, yeah. Dexter's so my dog. dog Bear's the, the cat. Yeah. He's huge. He's ridiculous. Oh, I'm, I'm actually going to look at this now. He's strangely addicted. I mean, I Dexter do find animal Instagram accounts, you know, um, Carl Lagerfeld's cat, yeah. etc. I'm a Rest cat person. So. Not the cat, mm. but Carl. No, some, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, um, just animals wearing clothes, like tiny animals wearing clothes. I'm yeah, here for it online. Shark, shark suit on a cat, yeah. on, a, on those mobile dust, you know, Hoover things. That, that gets me every time. Any day, give that to me. All right, well, I think that's an insight. <laughs> Like, I feel like I know you a little bit better, so thank skin you for skinning cats. Yeah. Not skinning cats. Don't skin. No. Skin and cats. Skin and cats. I think that's actually on my Instagram thing, like skin, cats and glamour. Nice. Make sure yeah. you put the commas in the right place there. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for spilling the beauty. I think I know you just that bit better and I think I like what I've heard. <laughs> Welcome back to The Beauty of It All. We are talking all about skincare and honestly, it's overwhelming. I've seen some some women in Korea, for example, that I've seen on the internet who have these 10-step skincare routines. I mean, is that excessive, Ruth? Oh, I think I think we've stepped back again from that. I think the trend is now towards simplicity. Yeah. So no no 10-step routines. God, no, who's got the time? I mean, you know, it's difficult enough to get people to engage with daily sunscreen behaviour, which is the most important thing because it not only stops the harm from the future, when you protect your skin properly from the sun, you actually allow it to free up resources and repair the wrinkles you've already got. It's not something that's commonly known, but recent studies shown that. So 
if that's a hard thing to get people to engage with, how on earth are you going to get them to do like an extra seven steps? I mean, question re sunscreen. Say you were only in, so it's completely incidental sun exposure. Maybe you're just walking to your car, you're in the car, you might get a bit of sun exposure through the, you know, driving to work or what have you. Um, But really, you're not outside for more than, let's say, 10 minutes at a time. What should we be using? So I think there's a curve for the SPF 30 versus 50. And the reason I talk about SPF, even though that's to do with the UVB burning rays, is that the UVA is usually proportionate to the SPF. So Mm -hmm. the higher the SPF generally, the better the UVA protection. And those are the ones that are around all year round and age us and come through glass and all that annoying stuff, right? So it's Mm -hmm. not the beach behavior, it's the daily creep, the 20 minutes getting to and from the office, for example. But the problem is that over a lifetime, even though there might be only 1% to 2% difference in the amount of extra protection, you turn that on its head about the cumulative extra exposure you're getting, it ups it by about 200%. Right. So it's it's a way of looking at it, and it's that insidious creep every day that actually over time ages us so, of course, we know that it's bad to get sunburned. That puts us at risk of skin cancer and so on. But if you if you care about aging, those wrinkles, sagging, ooh, pigmentation, those signs that are actually due to cumulative UVA protection over a lifetime, that's the behavior that really should drive daily sunscreen use. Okay. And I, because consumers chronically underapply sunscreen, they typically apply a quarter to even an eighth of the amount, or they rely on their tinted moisturizer because it says it's got SPF in it, and maybe they're applying about a 15th of the amount. You're getting a fraction of the number on the tube. So, what should we be using? I believe we should be using SPF 50 broad spectrum sunscreen because that builds in that protection factor for under application every single day. I mean, you know, people are very happy to invest lots of money in eye creams and serums and all that jazz. It's just the wrong approach. If 80 to 90% of why we age, and as I say, I'm talking about those changes that are really hard to fix, you know, loss of tightness, the sagging of the skin, we don't have creams for that. We literally don't, no matter what people say. If that's preventable... Because you start that behaviour and you're alert to late teens or early 20s. Like, it's the cheapest, easiest way to age gracefully. I suppose it's it's um, in sort of common attitude, especially in this country, that would be a separate issue for people because generally people apply their sun cream because of skin cancer. You know, they, they're, they're thinking, OK, I don't want to burn. I know that I have to apply um, an SPF because... I don't want to burn and get skin cancer. So, you know, that's in your head. But then if you're talking about the cumulative sort of ageing effect of it, then suddenly that same product has a beauty function that's actually more effective as a motivator than any other product that you can use because it's preventative. But I don't even think of it that way, actually. I'm, yeah. I'm terrible at that. I think uh, I tend to, if I'm just getting incidental exposure, I never really think of the cumulative effect and I wear it when I know that I'm going to be getting actual sun exposure rather than just sort of fleetingly going to the car or what have you I've never really thought about the it's that tiny creep well I think I mean you know the way you see someone how someone's going to age is you look at the skin around their eyes and that's another simple habit that I I drive people crazy banging on about is no one puts sunscreen around their eyes because it says don't get it in your eyes but actually this is the thinnest skin part of the body and it's the bit that ages the first so do you think we need to change the conversation around 
the fact that it is a part of our beauty routine rather than a part of our... Calling it a beauty product rather than... Is that... How do we do that through... Dangerous, though, when you're talking about skin cancer, I suppose, the crossover is... I mean, I I make the distinction between day-to-day behaviour, so the kind of behaviour you adopt when you go to the office versus the behaviour you adopt when you go to the beach, you play sport outside in the summer. I'm not expecting women to take their makeup off and reapply their sunscreen at midday to ensure that they get that maximum SPF protection all through the day. I'm I'm a realist. I don't do that myself. But I believe in putting in a proper base layer using a measured amount because sunscreen is like medicine. There is a dose. It's 1.25 mLs for your face. It doesn't matter whether it's a tinted moisturizer, a primer or a sunscreen. The dose is the same. So... And you can't get extra bits by layering different products with SPF on top of each other either. Don't work like that. Right. So you put your proper base layer on in the dosed amount and you paint your face like you're painting a wall and you don't skip bits. And then you're protected. And then you manage your sun exposure by avoiding it. You know, you, if you went out at lunch, you walk in the shade, you wear a hat, whatever. That is best practice and it's realistic, I think, because you can do one good layer in the morning and that will make a difference and it's been proven in studies to change the way you age. How far away do you think we are from people doing that realistically and thinking of it as their beauty routine, as normal beauty practice? I really believe it's it's getting a lot better. I think because the skin intellectual, skin influencer, you know, you have people, there, there is activity on forums around skincare that gets so absolutely heated around sunscreen filters. Um, and there's a lot of changing legislation, particularly in the US, around the topic. So it's a, it's a really key topic right now. And I, it kind of helps thinking that the more we know, as you said before, the better behaviour mm. will become. And that the next generation will really start to understand that sunbeds in your teens just not no, a good thing. No, don't do that. Why, why oh. is it such a heated debate? I don't understand. If it's just facts, then why Why is there any argument to be had? I think as soon, <laughs> as, soon as there's a health issue that's brought in, it's like when you talk about acne as well, as soon as it's affecting somebody's health and it's not just a beauty issue, I think it becomes a more, not a dangerous topic, but I think the discussion becomes more passionate yeah. around it. Do you think that there's an element of people being disinclined to change their habits because they just like the sun? Like in the same way that I know I should probably be vegan because it'd be better for the environment, but I'll make excuses for myself because I'm like, oh, essentially I just like meat. I just like it. Do you think that it, there's got to be a shift in mentality around sunbathing and how nice it is to feel the sun on your skin and to have a bit of a tan and how having a tan makes you, you look nice, etc. And people are unwilling to shift to, say, using a tinted moisturiser or, or, or a fake tan. Do you think there's a bit of a way to go there? I mean, I think that nowadays, I think the formulations have changed. That's the first thing to say, that in the past, you couldn't have worn like the old-fashioned sunscreens every day on your face and gone to the office and looked presentable because there's all sorts <laughs> yeah. of cosmetic issues with, with sunscreens historically. They can look greasy, they can make you break out, they can cause a white cast. Think of those cricketers ones that they have on their the lips. Zinc, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, the sticks? That yeah, the, <laughs> the surfers, yeah. I know. <laughs> So, I mean, they're really good sunscreens, though. But um, I think things have moved on a lot in in that regard. So that's the first thing. So you've got better tools. You've got better education about how to use those tools correctly. And you've got people talking about them. And I think alongside the use of things like retinol is an understanding that if you use retinol, you must use sunscreen every single day. So I think that the more that that is 
you know, we, we keep on sort of pressing these these facts home and and, and 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 seeing the benefits that can be reaped from using the right active ingredients. But this is the behaviour you have to accept to go alongside that. I think things will shift. Yeah. Well, already when you think, I mean, actually, I know somebody, um, an acquaintance who uses sunbeds. She uses them every single day. And when she told me every that, day. I was horrified because I just didn't think people used them anymore. But I mean, it must just be just not in my sort of social sphere because people obviously still must use them. But I, I actually genuinely thought that they didn't exist anymore in the high street, these tanning places. Yeah. Um, and they're so often in gyms as well. I gyms, mean, it's disturbing. Yeah. I mean, they're classed as a carcinogen by the WHO. I mean... Really? There's not, I mean, just a complete, like, verboten, no, 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 dermatologists just... <laughs> but, but when you think, when you Shopping. walk into... Um, a chemist, you will see a whole massive aisle full of sun protection. I mean, I remember when I was a child, we used to use SPF three, yes. and that was Carrot considered with, yeah, yeah, and that was no, considered doing your duty. You know, your mum put your SPF on you, but it was so low. Maybe eight was the maximum. I think, I think we had eight in our households. Yeah, and really, it wasn't de rigueur, was it? it wasn't you didn't no, use it not here? At all. Also, my mum's from Nigeria, so she it was just not in her lexicon mm. at all to think it was necessary. Necessary. So, I, I mean, I think it's brilliant that this conversation is is more normal and, and people are using sunscreen, as, as we all should. Um, do you think that there's been a shift in the types of topics that bloggers and vloggers are talking about um, in their videos and it's less beauty, more skincare? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's so fundamental that you need good skin to look great and to make makeup sit beautifully. So for me, yeah, I mean, it's, it's what I do. So I suppose I'm I'm seeing it through a slightly skewed view of the world. But I think everything beauty starts with great skin. Yeah, and you've noticed it on a sort of viral level. We're immersed in that world. So I suppose yeah, it's, it's inevitable. hard to tell. Do you know what? Sometimes I see sort of fashionable skincare products. And yeah. then I see them being talked about with no sort of background, nothing to sort of back up why they would be good or not. And sometimes that is frustrating. Yeah. So do you think that there can be a negative impact of the rise of social media in skincare? Yeah. yeah of course. <laughs> 100% yeah. because it makes it all so shiny and desirable. And I think the thing that probably bothers me the most about this constant, like, feed of newness is is unfortunately then that drives behavior to hop and in in the people that i see sensitive skin breakout prone skin redness prone skin all of that stuff consistency is actually fundamental to getting things okay, better so, so stick with it you're you're tr you're treating your brain when you go for a, a thing that's used on the weekend <laughs> i'm not calling any brands into and I think question but you know the brain doesn't the skin doesn't know it's the weekend Sorry, it's true. <laughs> yeah, apart from maybe, maybe I've been out late, maybe Friday. Yeah, yeah, doesn't you know. care whether it's Friday. I also think that unless you, I feel like I know what I need in my routine, and so I can almost pick things from a new brand that comes out. Yeah. And I think, okay, well, that would of be course. suitable for me. But I sort of think in the same way that if I went to the supermarket and I know I need bread, I know I need vegetables and I know I need chicken, let's say. There are loads of different types of all those things. But I generally, I can try new things within that. But I know those are the things that I want and that will work well for my family's meals for the week. And I go to those sections and I pick out what I want. And the same with skincare. But for some people, it must be like being an alien 
going to a supermarket and having never eaten food before. <laughs> yeah. And you would just think, well, I don't even know the basics. What do people eat? Do they do they eat raw, raw pasta as a basic? Or do they eat, you know, like you just wouldn't know where to start. And so I think it becomes, so in one way it's great. You've got all of this education and this knowledge that you can find out easily online. But on the other hand, if you don't read it properly, if you don't take it in in the right order, then you're worse off than you were to start with maybe well certainly encouraging a discussion is fantastic and that's what we're here to do but then I guess the social media influence and the the influencers themselves even if they've just got different type of skin to you Mm -hmm. and they're positing that this product is great and maybe it is great for them it doesn't necessarily mean it is for you so you need to know your skin I mean at what stage would you say go to a dermatologist I mean, if it's if, if your problem or your concern is taking up a lot of thinking time, that's the first thing. So if you're, you know, if it's getting in the way of you doing things, if you're finding yourself cancelling plans because of a bad breakout or, you know, you have to go to work today and if it's affecting your self-esteem, I think that's one instance. Um, I mean, objectively, there are things that cause permanent problems. So acne scarring you know, let's please prevent acne scarring. It's a nightmare to treat and it causes so much unhappiness. And you know, let's just not not get there. So I think things like that that are red flags because that's the a severity indicator of the problem or just it's making you really unhappy. Like, again, yeah. there are usually ways to fix things or make things better if you, you know, see someone who's compassionate. I think it's also a matter of seeing the right sort of person. There's no point in going to see an injectables doctor if your concern is your complexion, for how instance. Can, how can we look for the right dermatologist for, for us? I mean, I think it's harder in the UK because dermatology, there's relatively few and not so many who are interested in beauty. But again, there are subspecialties. So there are those who specialise in moles, there are those who specialise in, in lasers and so forth. Do you think it's really possible to get good skincare on a budget or does price really play a part? No, I, I, it's got to be the right products and they've got to be well formulated. And I think almost the more basic they are, they're not trying to, they're not professing to do too many things. Mm, I agree with that. Um, I think the more reductive and clear and simplistic you you know and you I'm quite modular in what I you know that for that that for that and and put it all together and you know probably your limit is about six steps you know Mm. a.m and p.m so you might do one serum of sorts in the morning and one at night and then your basics um for most people that's achievable and it's not setting yourself up to fail so you can be consistent and give things long enough. But I think managing expectations is really the key mm. whenever you do anything. Do you think you could create that routine purely from affordable, what what we would consider, the, the normal consumer would consider affordable? I think so. I think yeah. so. I think they're really good basics now. Um, so you, I would think of it more as not necessarily reflecting across the whole range, but that the products that don't need to be expensive can be affordable. So like we talked about cleansers, yeah. mm-hmm. that should be cheaper than a good quality sunscreen. Way more effort goes into making a proper sunscreen that's elegant. So I think it's a bit like your wardrobe. I always liken it to that. You know, you might buy eight basic white t-shirts, but you invest in one really good bag or a really good pair of shoes, a really good coat. So it's about putting your money into the leave-on products that make the most difference and if spending a bit more on certain things means that you engage with a habit that you know is beneficial, then that's the way you should approach how you invest. It's worth it. And if we could just break down a routine for the morning and for the evening, because there's so many new launches, so much terminology and, you know, so much on the, the skincare shelves, it's a bit of a minefield. What are the core parts of a basic 
beginner's skincare routine. So I think as I said before, everyone needs basics, cleanser, moisturizer and SPF in my view. And then if your skin is basically good and you want to keep it that way and improve it a little bit, then probably something like an antioxidant or niacinamide in the morning and that can be in one of those products because they can sometimes be combined so you're not necessarily having to do an extra layer but antioxidants like vitamin C often best in a standalone layer before your moisturizer and then your SPF and then nighttime I mean a retinoid as I say there's very few people who don't benefit from retinoids obviously not used in pregnancy or if you've got an active skin problem like rosacea or eczema but for for everyone else with a bit of pigmentation who's a bit dull is a bit clogged poor issues in the, in the T-zone. Um, for me, that's a really good multifunctional routine. Yeah, and I think all of the extra bits, I, I mean, in the morning I'm cleanse, antioxidant, and then moisturiser, straight sunscreen, depending on what I'm doing. Um, and then at night, yeah, cleanse, proper big old cleanse. And then if it's retinol, straight on with a retinol, retinoid, sorry. Um, <laughs> and if it's not, if it's a, a I alternate my nights, then it will be uh, some kind of hydrating serum and then moisturiser just to sort of seal it in. And I've gone right back to basics. And the temptation is because I see so many new things and everything's made to look gorgeous. You know, sometimes extra steps creep in and yeah. I'm just saying, I'm not going there. Any predictions for what's next for the skincare industry? I think both in terms of what it can churn out in products, but also in perception and the way that we're consuming the information that's at our disposal. I mean, I think this entire conversation is reflective of where things are going. I think that the the too much of, of everything and the problems that I've certainly seen um, firsthand in practice and also from people on social media means that simplicity is a luxury that people are craving. And as you said, with the right active ingredients, it doesn't take many. And frequently, you can only have one or two on the go at any one time anyway. So I think this whole re-education about the time frame to look for changes and what to expect. Um, I think using photographs to document your journey, sharing that with friends, that's the way things are shifting. It's really healthy. Mm. Do you think that the excitement about it within the world of influencers is going to die down? Maybe that's a bit of a fad or do you think this is just how it's going to be now? The excitement about skincare? Yeah. <clears throat> I think that there will be more people that will want to have a paired back attitude I think people will start to realize that some of these crazy routines they've been doing have been quite damaging yeah. or that products have been misused in some way and that's quite damaging and I think there might be a sort of call for just a more you know simplistic uh, you know access to, to, to very simple routines you know people just want to know what is it that I need to be doing that's no faff just to maintain good skin yeah. Um, and I think maybe people will start to get this whole sort of clean skin, natural versus chemical. Hopefully that will stop becoming such of a, a complete... I mean, it, it's just a complete red herring, really, isn't it? I feel like, I mean, at the end of the day, when it comes to anything, what we want is simplicity. Exactly. We want easier lives so we can yeah. enjoy ourselves. And it's all confused. You know, the whole, like, is this organic? Is this natural? And people don't really know what they're getting. They don't really know what they're talking about. And it'll, it'll be easier for people to be able to pick a simple skincare routine. So that at the end of the day, we can all feel confident in our skin. Exactly. And it's nice and clean and bare and plump and glowy and fresh. Thank you so much. It's been really lovely to talk to you. I feel like I've learned a lot and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and look into some retinoid. 
Thanks so much, guys. Thanks for having us. I've learned a lot from this, uh, and I hope you have too. I hope you've enjoyed it. Thank you for listening. If you have, then do tune in same time, same place next week for another episode of The Beauty of It All. And we'll be taking a look at beauty and wellness, looking good and feeling good with Alice Living and Chessie King. I'll see you then.